All right, let me pray and then we will dive in. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that we get to live in this beautiful nation called Canada. Thank you, Lord, that you have gathered us from all over the globe to come here. Lord, thank you for our First Nations friends. Lord, thank you that together, Lord, uh, that we, we get to build this nation called Canada. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep it strong and free. Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. All right. So if, if we can continue on, we will. 1993, I was 22 years old. And I took, uh, I think this was my second overseas missions trip to Romania. Uh, if you were alive at that time, uh, you would recall that there were, it was just a few years after the, the, the dictator Nicolae Ceausescu, it's not a history lesson, was deposed on Christmas Day 1989, was deposed unceremoniously and uh, firing squad and it was nasty. However, one of the results of his reign was that there was thousands and thousands, literally tens of thousands of orphans. And the organization that I worked with at the time uh, was taking a relief flight to bring goods to these orphans. Things like toothbrushes and food and, and medicine and things like that that would help them, uh, which was a terrible, terrible time. Kids uh, not getting fed properly. Kids that had been left literally in cages. Uh, they called them cribs, but would sometimes were not out of there for uh, more than an hour a day, if that abuse, all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And so the organization that we were a part of uh, was delivering 40 tons of goods there via airplane through a special arrangement with Boeing. So we landed in, in uh, Romania with all these goods and uh, we're getting ready to unload them. And someone came and said to me, so you're, those goods are only going to be released if you play, pay all this duty, a.k.a. bribes. If you pay all this money, then we will release the goods. And uh, I was 22. My, this is my second time overseas. I grew up in a little town. My dad was a logger. My grandfather was a logger. And here's a man with a gun saying, you're not going to get this stuff released unless you pay me. And I remember Shanda was with me at that time. And we had a quick prayer. And I just said to him, I need to talk to your boss. And he looked at me. What? I said, no, I need to talk to your boss. I'm like quaking on the inside. I'm I want to go over your head. It's basically what I was saying. I want to talk to your boss. So I go to the next guy. And he says, no, we're not doing it unless you do this. I said, no, nope, not good enough. I'm going to go over your head. I want to talk to your boss. Next guy. This is what? No, nope, we're not going to do it unless you pay. Nope, not going to do it. This is for little orphans. We're not going to do it. I'm going to pay. not going to pay money to you. I'm going over your head. I'm going to see your boss. Till after a couple of hours... From office to office, all throughout the airport, we were led here and there and everywhere, trying to make us get up until I sat down in the office of the, the head guy in the whole place. I'm 22 years old. He's got the gun. He's got the power. I'm in a nation that was just recently a communist nation where they threw people in jail for looking the wrong way. And I'm sitting there and I said, we're not going to do this. I said... This is for little orphans who we bought toothbrushes, food, medicine, all kinds of stuff that these kids need through no fault of their own. They're put in this spot, and you cannot do this. What do you think? Well, you could see the wheels turning in his head. And he paused, and we talked a little bit more, and finally he said, all right, you can come back tomorrow, and you can have those goods, and you can have them. They will be released. I said, okay, that's good. I went over his head. 
I've learned a few things since then. When I hear a customer service person, they say, oh, I'm sorry, we can't do that. I go, excuse me? You can't or you won't, because there's a difference. Can't mean you do not have the ability to do it. So if they say, no, I can't do it, I say, well, get me someone who can. I don't yell. I don't scream. I don't call them names. I say, please get me someone who can. And then, oh, oh, you mean like my supervisor? I don't know, whoever it is, you get them. And work your way up. That happened with my computer, my Apple computer. Six months after I got it, it was crashing, blowing up. And I just kept calling, and I kept calling, working my way up. I now have a VP of Apple in my phone. <laughs> who she says, if you have any issues, Mr. Miller, in the future with any of our products, after she replaced it, you, come, you just call me. Because I've learned sometimes to get ahead, to get move forward in life, you have to go over the head of the obstacle of the situation that you're facing. You have to go over the head. Now, in the right way, and we're going to talk about that, but go over the head. I kept going over the head. We have, sometimes we have to learn to do that. You know, and we talked last week about a big church, and if you weren't here, it lays a bit of a foundation, so I'd encourage you to go online and listen to it. But we talked a little bit about a big church, and and... You know, other than Spartacus, and if you don't know who Spartacus is, don't worry, but other than Spartacus, we know in common history no other person who was murdered and crucified other than Jesus. We don't. We don't know anybody other than that. But so how did the, the name of Jesus and his story make it out of the first century where we're still talking about it 2,000 years later? How did this idea of the church move beyond a moment in a small little nation in a small little city in a small sect of unknown overlooked people what caused it to launch beyond that well the answer because that comes because the foundation is is more about what happened rather than a teaching that was taught it was about a situation that happened in Judea 2,000 years ago. And the answer is this, is that Christ followers believe that Jesus died from the dead and rose again, and he's instructed his people to tell people. Jesus rose from the dead and told people to tell people about it. They saw it, they believed it, and the story has gone on and has gone on and has gone on simply because the multitude and millions and millions of changed lives that have flown or or flown out of that gospel message that Jesus died, buried, rose again, and has come to change lives. See, the church was launched around the good news that Jesus came and took care of something. The good news that the primary obstacle of sin had been defeated. The good news that the ultimate penalty for sin had been overcome and paid for by Jesus. And that has been the message of the gospel. It's not about a whole lot of other things. It's not about whether I'll sign an attestation. It's important, but this is the gospel. The primary obstacle of sin has been broken, and the ultimate penalty for sin, death, has been paid and has been overcome. That's why it's called good news. Good news. Because if you're facing a death sentence and someone took the rap, that's good news. If you have been captured and wrapped up in something that you couldn't be free of, and someone made a way for you to be free, that's good news. That's the message of the church. That's the message of the gospel. And the church was launched as a gathering, a movement, not a building, not an idea of teachings, but a movement of people. It was 
a message that was for you. It was a message that was for your children. It was a message for those who seem to be afar off from where you are right now. People that are outside of our sphere. People that are beyond our, our influence. People that are beyond and in another locale. It's the message of the gospel. And Jesus said this incredible thing. He said, I will build a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will keep it out. He's building something that is not going to be stopped by any government. It never has been. It's not going to be stamped out by anything. It's not going to be held back by any uh, plan or scheme of political leaders or religious leaders. It's been tried all through history. It's been tried time and time again, but seemingly stamped out, written off, outdated, old-fashioned, and yet it still marches on because Jesus is in the building. Jesus is not going to stop. He's in building a, a people. He's in building a movement that is expansive with energy and life that hell can't stop. You say, Craig, you get a little exercise about this. It's because I believe that Jesus still changes lives today. I've experienced it. I've seen it so many times, and it's the message of the church. It's expansive, full of energy. Church is not a building. It's not a corporation. It's, it's none of that. It's a multiplying. We said this last week. A multiplying, multicultural, multigenerational movement of people who believe that Jesus is the answer and live their lives like he is. And from that day forward, there has always been a group that has refused to let go of that ideal that it's a movement. A movement based around a message. A message a freedom, a message of good news, a message of hope that sets people free. Not a building, not just a collections of nice teachings, but a movement of people with a message. And there's always been a group, but often all throughout history, the majority have let go of that message and made it about a method, made it about a building, made it about a power structure. And we see that when we look at through history, we see things like the Inquisition where church became this powerful structure. He who controlled the building controlled you. He who can, the, the power structure that controlled the Bible. And they used that and used their, their power to, to take people that didn't agree with them and torture them and murder them and put them on racks and all kinds of things. Wars have been waged in the name of Jesus to, to the shame of Jesus and to the embarrassment of the gospel when the church loses the ideal of what God has for it, nothing good happens. When the church and the state are the same thing, religion is used as a weapon. And the message is lost. The message of hope, the message of good news is lost. And it becomes about power and control and corruption and terrible things and that God never intended. You say, Craig, well, that's a long, long time ago. Let's bring it to the present. Well, we, let's just be clear. I don't think that we are immune to it. As we look back through recent church history even, when Christians who attend insider-focused churches become insensitive to outsiders. A pastor that I follow talks about the time when he and his dad went and visited a church and they were uh, sat in the back because they wanted to be sure that they weren't accidentally given communion because they weren't members. Things where we Make it about what someone wears, whether they wear a hat or not. Do they have a tattoo and things that have been all through the church. And it may or may not apply to this church, but I think to the church we've seen it. Do you wear this kind of clothes or not? I'd just wear clothes, please. But beyond that, 
Christians who attend insider-focused church tend to become judgmental towards people because it's about me and it's about protection of what is rather than looking at the big, expansive vision of God for you, for your children, and for those who are far off. We tend to make it and isolate and make it more insider-focused and driven rather than outsider-focused driven. Then, because even in a living memory of people here, we have not treated people well that are struggling with sin. I know personally in my family someone in the 60s who became an unwed mother and they had to leave their church. They had to leave their town. They had to move two provinces away because of the shame that was placed on her rather than the church being a place of restoration and a church of good news, a place of hope, a place that says, I'm going to walk with you through your mistake. I'm going to walk with you through your sin. I'm going to help you get back up. It was a point the finger and move on. That's how the church became pure. Get out anybody who made a mistake. Well, I'm on the door first because I'm at the head of it all. I need Jesus. And so often we, the church generally has not handled some uh, issues well around people who walk through divorce, people who are caught in adultery, people who are all kinds of things, abortion. We've touched on that this morning. We've not handled that well. We have not handled well in our language and our treatment. We have not even figured it out, and it's in our face, how we will deal with the LGBTQ community. Too often our words are full of judgment and placards and signs instead of life and hope and good news of the gospel. We've not always done well with issues like Women in leadership, we have not always done well with so many things. Because, but let me tell you this, no, no one has ever been judged into change. Love is the only thing. The love that says there is hope for you, no matter what situation you're in, the gospel is good news. Because Jesus said, you know what? Jesus says in John 3, he did not come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. And so our first message is not condemn, condemnation. Our first message is Jesus came to save. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. There's hope for your life. There's a future for all of us. There's nobody too far gone. Nobody that should ever be written off. But when we're insider focused, it's easy to f- slide to that. And I, I, it doesn't mean that these issues that I've addressed are not important. But we cannot lose the core of our message is that the gospel is good news that sin has been defeated and death has been overcome, that there's hope for every person in our life, in our world, in our situation. See, most people who leave a local church never to return to church do not do so because of theology, but because of how they were treated. I hear that story again and again. That's not no heavy on anybody. If that's not you, don't worry about it. Just let's make sure that at Horizon Church that we don't lean that way. We should not think that we are immune, though. We would be arrogant to think that we are. But how do we know? How do we know that we are not slowly sliding toward becoming a church, a big old church where we sing songs we like, we talk with about things that we want to talk about, where we sit and, and, and hang out with people that we like, with methods that we like? It's very easy because that's the gravitational pull is to make things about us. But the pull of the gospel is to make it about you and your children and for those who are far off. Who, you might, who might be far off to you but are not far off to Jesus. Who sees, who knows, who loves. Come on. Foundational stuff. But how a church congregation prays indicates whether it has strayed. 
What you pray for is a clue. What you and I pray for is a clue. It indicates whether we have strayed, whether we have moved from being outsider-focused to insider-focused. Think about your prayers for a moment. Think about my own prayers for a moment. They tend to, what are, who and what are they mostly about? My, me, my family, my future, what's going on with my life, sick people I might know. Do you know why our prayers often feel like they bounce off the ceiling? Why there's little urgency or expectancy in them? Because most, not all of them, but most of them don't even really require God's intervention. Good night's sleep, there's medicine for that. Safe trip home, leave earlier. Good day at the office, don't be a grump. No wonder many of us are bored and tired because we're praying prayers that have no urgency to them, that have no sense of pull of the gospel to them. Insider prayers. But Proverbs 29, 18 says, without a vision, we cast off restraint or we don't live with purpose. If our only vision is about me and myself and my family and what's going on in my life, I live carelessly. I don't live with passion. I don't live with purpose. I, I live just getting by. I live just living for the weekend. I live to just survive and get through life. When God had never called his church to just survive, Jesus said, I'm building a church, which is a people, not a building. I'm building a people that will be so full and expansive, expanding with energy that the gates of hell will not stop them. God never made his church to be sedentary, half asleep, boring. That is not the big church that he intends. It's not the big church that he's called us to be. He's called us to have an expansive vision, called you and I to have an expansive vision if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to turn your Bible to Acts chapter 4, and we're going to pick up. This series is basically running through the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 4, and we'll lay the, it's the, we're going to look at the first recorded prayer of the early church. Right after opening day. Last week we talked about how in one day, 3,000 people were added to the church. In one day. Man, if you're a preacher, you like that day. One day, my goodness, the altar's streaming down like just as I am, and people are coming. There was lots of energy in the city. It was pumped. People were excited. And then little, maybe as we don't really know how, but maybe just a few days later, Peter and John were in Acts chapter 3, were going into the temple and they saw a lame man and they, through a whole process, he was healed. And wow. And then Peter begins to talk about the goodness of God and, and another 5,000 men plus women and children come to faith. My goodness, eight thousand plus people from zero in a little over a week have come to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's probably at least 10% of the population of the city in a week. That's, that's, why not, why not now? I begin to read things like that. I say, God, in our day, in our time, 60, 70,000 in Surrey, 280,000 in a couple of weeks in Vancouver. Why not? Come on, why not? It's scary. But look what happens. The, the leaders were disturbed. The temple leaders were disturbed that they're preaching about this resurrection power. And maybe some of their power was getting stolen because of the lives that were being transformed. And so they 
haul them off the street and bring them in for questioning. And so Peter like tells them what's going on and preaches them a sermon. And he ends with this line. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name except Jesus given under heaven by which we must be saved. That's bold. You might say that's narrow. But no one has ever made the claims that Jesus has made. And if you think that they're narrow claims and you think they're wrong, search the evidence. Look at the evidence and look at what Jesus has done and has always done throughout history. Don't just write them off if you say, oh, that's crazy, that's narrow. And then they went on to say this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Do you know, you start to look like who you spend time with? Someone has said that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Some of you are going through your list. One, two, three. Oh, wow. yeah. You're the average of who you spend the most time with. And look what these men who had been unschooled, ordinary people who should have been, had no influence, no reach, but because they had been with Jesus, their life look, took a new turn. It had a, had a different page that they weren't anticipating. There was a story that they didn't know was going to be written through their life when they began to spend time with Jesus. And so their story took on a whole new, I was going to sing a whole new world, but that's another thing. That's what's going on in my brain all the time. There's like these little things fighting, trying to come to the surface, and I have to beat them down sometimes. Every so often, you see it really going on. But when you surrender your life to Jesus, he will change you by his grace and his power. That's what he does. He can take the ordinary and turn it extraordinary. He can take timid, timid people and make them bold. He can make people who are in the ashes of defeat, we sang about it, and bring them to a whole new level that their past should not determine. That's what Jesus does. And it will look different for every one of us, but I can tell you this, that your issue because of Jesus is not your identity. Your past does not have to be your prison. That's just the way Jesus worked. Your anxiety does not have to be your master. The gospel of Jesus is still true. And they saw this thing where Jesus inspired transformation and they looked at these men and they were like, what is going on with them? Look, at they've been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who was standing there, who had been healed, standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Let me just say something. This is a side for free. Don't ever underestimate the power of your story. Because they were like, you couldn't do that. You are a wrong belief. That's a wrong theology. We don't agree. But look at right there is the man who's been healed. Uh, not sure what we can say to that. And when you stand and tell your story, I was in a place of confusion and despair, and I didn't know what to do. But because of Jesus, I'm moving on into a whole new life. You know, I was once broken by divorce, but God has restored my life. Don't minimize the power of what Jesus has done. Don't minimize the power of your story because your story will sometimes keep quiet an accusation and when people begin to realize there's nothing we can say about it because Jesus is still changing lives. That's for free, but we'll continue on. So they, after all this public pressure, they pulled them in, they threatened them, they intimidated them. They said, you do not do this again or there will be something to pay. Peter's like, oh, if we have to choose between obeying God and obeying you, it's no contest. We're going to obey God. 
And you have to decide well in advance in your life how you're going to deal with opposition. Because don't think that just because you're making progress that everybody's happy for you. There are people who like you being shy and timid because they can control you. There are people who think that it should be just great. Don't, no, no, you, I like it when you uh, are ashamed because now you don't ever ripple the waters at all. There are people that when you start to break out of your addiction that want to keep you in your addiction. All kinds of things. And you have to decide in your life how you're going to handle opposition when you take step forwards. Don't expect that there won't be any. Because there's, a, there's people and there's an enemy who wants to keep you boxed in, who does not want you to step into a future that's filled with purpose and meaning, who does not want you to be somebody who said, I'm on a move, I have a message, and I'm moving forward. There are, there's an enemy who wants to box you in, to settle for just the ordinary Canadian life of, of make a good education, get a good retirement so you can be comfortable and die in a good casket. There's more. More. There's more. And don't get boxed in by life. And for somebody here, don't get boxed in by your success. As I was prepared, I just felt like God dropped that in, that there's someone who's, who's that the success in your life. What would it look like if I followed Jesus with all of my heart and you, you actually fear what that would look like? And I want to challenge you today to be bold. You know who you are. I don't know who you are, but I'll just speak it out there. Your wife shouldn't be elbowing you right now. That's Jesus. Let's let him do it, okay? Peter and John rush back after they've been told, threatened, warned, intimidated, pulled off the street. You're going to get beaten. They rush back to their core group and, and this waiting to find out. The, their friends are like, what, what happened? What happened? Because they expected the worst because the political powers had already killed Jesus. Now that the religious powers were pulling them off the street and threatening them, what was their reaction? March in the street, sign a petition. Go to the governor's mansion and picket it. No, they didn't do any of that. It says they reported what had happened and then the group, well, if all else fails, I guess we'll do this. Last resort, nothing left to do but pray. The first response, they prayed. Yeah, but the obstacles and the, the, the power structure and all these things that are arrayed and want to stop, their first response was they prayed. And Luke records the essence of their prayer. Here's how they prayed. But how would you and I pray? Lord, make it safe for me. Stop those bad guys so that I can do what I'm supposed to do. Keep me safe. Keep me healthy. Don't let them... Or Lord... May their chariot wipe out and they all go over the edge of the bank. Remove them in your great wisdom and kindness for me. Amen. Like, what would your prayer be? Well, picking it up in verse 24, it says, When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. They weren't quiet about it. They weren't, oh, well, I hope it all works out in the end. You know, it's all going to, whatever's supposed to be is supposed to be. That ain't true, by the way. You pray some things in that... People say shouldn't happen. You pray them in until you see God do what God's going to do. But well, Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit who said, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers come together against the Lord. And he goes on to say how they, there was this great conspiracy. And you're like, man, you're getting more depressed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand it would happen. Now let's understand how a big church prays. Let's understand how big people pray in the face of opposition. Here's their request. Verse 29. Now, Lord, 
Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. There was not a word about, Lord, shut the mouth of my opposition. Lord, stop them. Lord, remove them. They just said, I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to be pulled over here and start fighting over there. We have one mission and we have one message. We're going in one direction. And they start, not not that one, not that one direction. And they said, we are going to go over the head of the people who seem to think that they can stop the advance of the church. They said, we're not going to just sit here and say, okay, that's what you have to do today. That's what you have to do in order to be uh, able to be saved. We are going to just say, Lord, enable, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They didn't pray for anybody but themselves. They said, Lord, help me to be bold in the face of what I'm facing right now. Help me to be bold in the face of the opposition that I face on the inside. Some of us need to to be a person who would stand and say, God, let this be my prayer, that I will pray a bold and a big prayer. Go over their head. Don't stop. Don't be distracted. And then they go on. Stretch your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders. You know what got them in trouble? Signs and wonders. They're like, double down. Boom. Signs and wonders. More. I want more. Yeah, but what about, like, that's the kind of thing that got you in trouble. Just pray for boldness to speak, and that should be okay, but no more signs and wonders. No. Signs and wonders. We're going to believe for God to do stuff that we don't even see today. (gasps) Pray for boldness, and then be bold. Pray for boldness and then be bold. Stretch forth your hand. Notice, though, that there wasn't any signs and wonders that they did. Don't work anything up. Don't be freaking out. Just, Lord, stretch out your hand and do some signs and wonders and miracles in our city. Why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? Stretch forth your hand. In contrast to our prayers, help me, protect me, bless me, give me. But when's the last time you and I prayed boldness to do the right thing? Pray for boldness to do what we should do what God's called us to do. Don't be discouraged. Don't be intimidated. Go over the head of the thing that wants to hold you in. When is the last time you and I prayed that our lives would bring attention to Jesus? Don't shrink back. Don't stop. But pray over the head. And they prayed because we so often pray little prayers and so often little happens. Big prayers. Because after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Does it mean they weren't afraid? No. Why do you think they were asking for courage? Because they were scared. They were afraid that they were going to be the next guys lined up to be put on a cross. They were afraid that they were going to be the guys that were going to be beaten. They were afraid that they were going to be the ones that will be marginalized and and castigated and, and held up for ridicule. And so in the midst of it, they knew what they knew, that they had a message of good news, and so they weren't going to be put to the and stop. They said, oh Jesus, please help me to be brave. Help me to be bold. And too often, boldness we think is a personality type or it's a rude American on a holiday demanding something. No, 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 no. Boldness is not a personality trait, but as Canadians, we spend so much time apologizing. We've ceded ground that we don't need to give up. Sorry, 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 sorry. Who's sorry? I don't know. I'm just sorry. Just making sure it's all covered. I don't want anybody to think. But boldness does not mean rudeness. And sometimes we've equated the two. And if you follow on social media now, I'm bold. No, you're not. You're just rude and crude. It doesn't mean boldness does not mean we need to get into arguments and nasty social media fights. 
Because too often we've made boldness to mean winning an argument instead of winning a person. And Jesus is more interested in you winning people than winning arguments. You can be absolutely right and totally wrong in the way that you do it. So be more interested in winning part. Oh, Lord, help me to be bold so I can be there and fight every battle. How about just be bold so you can talk about Jesus and his goodness and his grace and his mercy and the way that he's changed your life and helped you not to be rude and crude. For free, you got that. Colossians 4, 6. Let your conversation, this is Bible, be gracious and attractive. Let your social media presence be gracious and attractive. So that you will have the, what's that word? Right? Response. Not your response, because often your response might be, as anybody else, I, probably only me, but sometimes you think a lot to do and say a lot more things than you actually do. Because if you did, you'd be in a whole lot of trouble. My first response was, okay, thank you. I'm not going to do that. Don't post that. Once you hit enter, it's gone. It's in there forever. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so you have the right response for everyone. I have to say that today. But I don't want us to be a church, a big church that prays small prayers. We dishonor God with our little prayers. Because God's prayers are about people who, like you, people like your children, people who are far off. It's not about a building, a place. It's about a message. It's about a man named Jesus who's come to break the power of sin and death. And I want to I be bold myself. And I'm going to ask you to, pray, beginning this week, begin pray, making this a prayer. Some people, I don't know what to pray. Make this a prayer. A simple prayer for boldness. Not instead of what you pray, but in addition to what you pray. Pray for your kids. Pray for your family. Pray for all the things that are, on your, on, that are on your heart. But also, begin to pray some big prayers. Lord, make me bold. Make me bold. I am by nature not a bold person. You're like, what are you talking about? I grew up the kid hanging behind my mom's uh, dress. I grew up insecure self-rejection, all kinds of things. But Jesus has done a work in my heart where he's enabled me to step into places that I never thought would be possible for me in my own self. Pray for boldness. And if you feel, pray the second half of that prayer. Lord, stretch out your hands to heal and perform signs and wonders. Now, if that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, perhaps it's because our prayers have been too tame, too small. To us and not enough God. Prayers that are not big enough, that are not bold enough, that are not brave enough, that are not broad enough, that are not reaching far enough. But our church is a church that still believes in signs and wonders. And I, I don't see nearly what I want to in it. And, and I, that's no heavy on anybody. It's just I want more. Do you know, I don't know if you know this, but Violet Kitely, who founded our church in 1955, is a roughly a 30-year-old single mom who was a widow. She had been widowed when a plane crash took her husband's life in July of 1945 in a plane crash. And then a, short month, a few short months later in October, her son was born, and she became an invalid. And for 13 months, she was... Couldn't move, couldn't move at all. She had stayed in bed. 
And in November the 26th, 1946, a missionary coming from Jordan, the nation of Jordan, was flying into her, her hometown of Vancouver to speak at her church. He felt that Jesus... He felt Jesus tell him that he was to go to a woman who was paralyzed and pray over her and tell her that God had called her to a mighty ministry all over the world. And she says it this way. After the prophetic word was spoken to me, I immediately rose from the bed where I'd been lying for 13 months, totally healed. I gave my testimony in my local church and for the next year and a half preached throughout the region, sharing my story of receiving a miracle in the midst of tragedy. And then she launched this church. And this church has had a worldwide effect. School, college, missions. Then after she kind of got this one going along, went down to Oakland, California, started another one, Shiloh Church. Miracles are for today. Pray big prayers for signs, wonders, and miracles. Pray big prayers that go over their head. We need big prayers for Jesus to move through our lives in unusual ways. We need some big prayers for our university students in our, in our universities. We need to ask him for boldness to pray for our co-workers. Ask him for boldness to tell the story of what Jesus has done in your life. Ask him for the miracle of salvation for your plus one. And your plus one being that person that's in your life that you say, I want them to come to know Jesus. Maybe ask for an addiction cycle to be broken in our city and around. No small prayers invite you to stand because if you're a Christ follower you are the church if you're a Christ follower you are the church you're part of a multi multiplying multicultural multi-generation movement of people for this generation we are not a building we are not a corporation we are people a big church that dares to pray big prayers and church it's time to get go over the head of the opposition that you face that we face. It's time to go over the head of the intimidation that you feel on the inside. It's time to go over the head of the anxiety that you feel. It's time to go over the head of the materialism and, and, and self-serving attitudes that we have. It's time to go over the head of your university prophets and pray a big prayer. It's time to go over the head and start a, uh, an alpha in your school. It's time to go over the head of things that would hold the church back. The church that was moving could have been stopped in its infancy, but the response to opposition has always been, we're going to pray. We're going to pray that God will give us boldness. We're going to pray that God will do what only God can do, signs and wonders and miracles, and, and move forward the church of Jesus Christ because it's time to lift our vision a little higher than survival. It's time to see those who feel far off and say, we're going to pray for you. We don't even know you right now, but we are praying for you. It's time. We are big prayers are establishing the kingdom of God. Jesus said this. He said, pray, thy kingdom come. He's praying to the Father. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my kingdom, not my way, not his way. So that on earth, there would be a whole lot more looking like heaven. More of His love, more of His kindness, more of His goodness, more of His miracle-working power, more of people coming to faith, more of people being breaking out of addictions, more of families being restored, more of, of families coming together, more of our city being changed, more of homelessness being stopped. All the things of our city, there can be all kinds of answers and all kinds of speculation as what should be, but our role as the church is, first of all, to begin to pray bold prayers, to begin to believe that what is seemingly impossible is possible because there's a God who still works miracles. Church, we are not retreating. We will not be moved. We will not be shaken. We will not stop. 
There are still campuses to be established. There are still families to be restored. There are still people to be reached. There are still people who need to know the message of hope in the gospel. And there are still cities to be touched. There are still places to reach that people in this room are called to reach and go beyond. There are still business people that are meant to touch and reach into your business. There are still people that God has called and to do something that right now was just a scary dream inside of you. But begin to pray this prayer. I'm going to be bold before God. I'm going to ask God for what I don't have any right in my pedigree to ask for. I'm going to ask for things. I'm going to pray for people that are beyond me. I'm going to pray for my city. I'm going to ask God to do amazing things that are beyond what I can think or imagine. Yes, yes, yes. I'm not going to stop dreaming big dreams. Church, we cannot stop praying big prayers. We cannot stop believing because we have not yet see what Je- seen what Jesus dreams for our lives. We have not yet seen what Jesus dreams for this church. We have not yet seen what Jesus dreams for our city. We have not yet seen it because Jesus is still building his church that is so expansive and full of energy that the gates of hell could not stop it. Now, if you are here and you're not a Christ follower, let me be bold with you. I want to challenge you. Today could be your day to make Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life. It's just saying, Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. Thank you that you paid the price for sin. Thank you that you broke the power of death over my life and I can have a brand new life. And it's simply saying, Jesus, be the forgiver and leader of my life. And if that's you, all you have to do is pray that prayer. And bow your heads, family, real quick. So I want to give people an opportunity to respond. Believe in the power of response. And as I challenge some people today, I know some of you said, yes, pastor, that's me. It's my day to turn to Jesus. It's my day to be bold, to stand and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I don't know all that it means, but I, I do know that I, I need my life to be different because of the power of the gospel. I need that good news. On my left and your right, if that's you, please, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Hope of the gospel. Straight down the middle. If that's you, you say, Craig, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. Raise your hand and we're going to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you to do anything. My right, your left. Yes. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that because of Jesus, Lord, is that you set people free, Lord. Thank you that salvation has come to the house, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for people turning to you right now in the name of Jesus. Now, if you're a Christ follower, let me be bold with you. Since we're on a roll, chances are, if you pray like most Christians, if God answered all your prayers this past year, the only difference will be made in your life and the lives of your family. We're glad for that. Some of you will be married. Some of you would have a bigger bank account. Some of your kids might have gotten in better schools. Maybe you would have had a better job or better grades. Your relative would be healed. All amazing. But if God answered all your prayers, the only people better were you and your family. There's more. There's more. It's not very big. It's not very bold. And that's the kind of prayers that lead to an insider-focused, self-focused church. But Jesus is building a church that's so expansive and full of energy that says it's for you, it's for your children, and it's for those who are far off. So I want us to begin praying bigger, bolder, God-honoring prayers.
Let God fill in the blanks, but just say, Jesus, help me to be bolder and do something amazing in my world. I'm going to put it up on the screen right now. Let's pray this. Let's read this together. One, two, three. Enable me to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help us as individuals to be bold. And Lord, we're asking that you do things that are beyond our understanding, miracles and signs, Lord, that all point to Jesus. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you as you go. We're going to sing this song on our way out.